Hey guys, Sklar Brothers here with Daniel Van Kirk. I am here. And our guest on the show is our favorite murderer because she murders this episode. Karen Kilgariff, thanks for joining. It was my pleasure. What a joy. We talk about We talk about swords. Oh, yeah. Uh, sword uh, stores. Sword yeah. stores. A guy who might have deserved to get attacked. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying he did, but he might have. He's an E... <laughs> Ethlete. Yeah. He's an, an E-athlete. E-athlete. That's Everybody. all you need to know. That's all you need right. to know. Talk about Claudia tiny, and her life changes. Tiny Sasquatches. <laughs> tiny Sasquatches. And the Sheboygan Clogger. Which, you, yeah, we you, need the town's help on that one. This is it. It is Sword Stores, Tiny Sasquatches, <laughs> and the Sheboygan Clogger with Karen Kilgariff. You have to listen to this week's episode of Dumb People Town. It's the Starburns Industries Tape of the Month Club. 12 original cassette tapes delivered to your door. Each month, you'll receive a crisp new cassette tape of auditory delights made by some of the most funky and creative artists around. Featuring Dino Stamatopoulos, Natalie Palamides, Johnny Pemberton, Dan Harmon, future ladies of wrestling, Alan Resnick and Dina Kalberman, Dynasty Handbag, Jeff B. Davis, Rob Schraub, Lance Bangs, DJ Doug Pound, Cron, Open Mike Eagle, Ron Lynch, and on and on and on. Subscribe now. $13 gets you a crisp, unique tape in the mail each month. For $20, you receive a portable cassette player so you can listen to your tapes on the go. Here's how to order. For credit card customers, please call 747-888-0945. That's 747-888-0945. Or save COD charges and log onto the World Wide Web at d.rip forward slash sbi dash press. It's a good deal. You know what time it is, don't you? That's right. It's Drinky Fun Time, where we drink booze with some of the most interesting people at the coolest places around. So grab a drink, chill out, and enjoy the show. So I'm in West Hollywood. It's Wednesday night. What do you do in West Hollywood on a Wednesday night when your co-host is on his way to Denver? In fact, I think he's stuck on a flight. Anyway, I'm not stuck on a flight. I'm in a really, really cool bar restaurant. And I'm not only sat here about to drink a delicious cocktail, I'm also here with the owner and chef, Michael. I'm going to say this right. Michael Voltaggio. Perfect. See, when I rehearsed it, I had this crappy Italian accent and I didn't want it to happen again. So, here I am. Thank you for not doing that. I'm just going to say chef. No, Perfect. Because that's how everyone else has described you. I think my mom calls me chef. It's all good. So. Hang on. Then what's she call your brother? Chef. She's chef one, chef, chef one. two? We're chef one and chef two. Yeah, because Brian Voltaggio obviously is your brother, who everyone listening, if you don't know who these two boys are, then for God's sake, watch Top Chef. Michael and Brian went head to head on Top Chef, and Michael... I'm afraid, Brian, your uh, brother won, and congratulations. It's all good, because Brian's on his way here right Is now. Is he? So, oh, yeah. good. So you're still on no the No bad blood. You're still speaking. Okay, good. Now, you do, you do more than, than get along. You guys work together, and you've done some incredible work. In fact, you've got a lot of new stuff happening. We do. But we'll get to that. First of all, the reason I'm here with you right now on a Wednesday night in West Hollywood, if you can guess at home... Just stop trying. You'll never guess. I'm here at a Scotch Egg Club for a night of Scotch drinking, Scotch egg eating, and wait, chicken bingo. That is correct. That what is correct. 
Bloody hell. And you said the word club, and I think it's the most exclusive club in the entire world, because it's <laughs> definitely the only place where any of that's happening what? tonight. What in the hell am I doing here? What is going on? And where did you get this? Like, I'm, okay, first of all, the only thing I do know is that Mr. Dewars, whose first name I've forgotten. John. John. He was a chicken breeder. Is that right? Or was it not him? John Dewars, well, basically the family was a family of chicken breeders, but, uh, you know, to bring live chickens in here to play bingo with, I don't know that PETA would actually allow that. So we actually have little plastic wind-up chickens and Tommy Dewar and the whole <laughs> family. I mean, look, we, we needed to figure out a way to create chicken bingo. And so we ended up with chicken bingo with plastic chickens. So I assure you, no chickens are injured in chicken bingo. Uh, but maybe the people that are playing could perhaps get hurt. Um, I'm not quite sure because people do fight to get to play chicken bingo. So. Oh, I'm, I'm fighting. I'm going to have my elbows in there. Excuse me, everyone. Get out of the way. But no, I need to know, where did this come from? Because we are on, uh, what is this, like the eighth or t ninth leg of the Scotch Egg Club Tour? Is yeah, this thing right? has gone on tour. Um, this is, I think, my eighth or ninth event. It's the first one uh, that I've actually been able to host here at my own restaurant. So yeah. uh, we've done this in Chicago, New York, um, down to Miami. This little house, the Whiskey Emporium, which you walked by on the way into the restaurant, uh, I, I don't know that we can describe it with words. But I'm going to try. It's, I think I can do it. I, rad is the only word I can come up with. No, this is well, a you can do better house. than that. Okay, so guys. Outside this restaurant is this absolutely stunning, what looks like really old but really modern wooden caravan that when you walk up the steps into, it's got like a high ceiling, there's a bunk bed upstairs, there's a bathroom with a shower and a toilet, and it smells really nice, like scented candles. We keep it clean. Yeah. There's a fancy bar, there's a lovely kitchen area. I'd live in there, and then it struck me... There's a trend, isn't there? This tiny homes trend. And I believe you have some involvement in that. And this might be the best one. Uh, we actually all collaborated and designed it together. Uh, and I think that brings us to this too. You know, the collaboration with doers. I have a lot of relationships with brands and so forth. But I don't make, I don't have relationships like this unless they're authentic. And yeah. so doers and I got together and it's like, what do you want to do? And then we came up with this crazy idea to do this Scotch Egg Club and then the, the, the Emporium, the tiny house and the, tiny house. the chicken bingo. And it's like, the only reason we haven't done anything is because we haven't thought of it yet. I so the, no one's actually said no, I think, to anything that we've wanted to do. So I think we're just going to see how far we can actually take this and uh, just throw some good events and, and pour some whiskey and hopefully uh, people have some good times. You've already taken it I mean, you've taken it halfway through the, across the country, and it's completely bonkers, by the way. I'm just going to tell you to your face. It's brilliant. It's genius. And what I really love is that here we have one of the finest whiskies, I believe they are, I mean, in the world, but obviously Dewar's is enormous in the U.S. And we're pairing it with one of my all-time favorite bar snacks in England. You can get a scotch egg in some really good pubs. And I, don't, I wouldn't know where to go for a scotch egg Here's my egg deal with the scotch egg. Uh, I never made them until we started this partnership. And oh. then I realized, okay, how hard can that actually be? And then here we are making a bar snack that's like putting together a, th a three-star Michelin dish. I mean, it's that much work. You have to first soft boil the egg, then make the sausage uh, base, then wrap that egg, peel the egg, wrap the egg in the sausage, then bread the egg with breadcrumbs and, and more egg and flour, then fry it, then cut it, and then we make all sorts of little condiments and things like that for it. So this particular dish... Although it is served in pubs next to whiskey and beer and all that sort of stuff, 
It's harder than most things I've made in my career, and I've worked <laughs> in some really good restaurants in my life. So uh, they are delicious and satisfying, but they are a pain in the ass They're to make. Tricky. I will say that. They're really tricky, and you've made them even trickier because you've done a different Scotch egg for, for every, every city. city. So what what other scotch eggs have you done just list a few and then talk about the one we're having tonight so for chicago we did a chicago hot dog scotch egg so oh. we wrapped it in actual hot dogs uh right. in new york we made a pizza one so we made a pork sausage with pepperoni inside Ooh. uh we've done a huevos rancheros one where we've actually wrapped it in black beans and tortillas <gasps> tonight we're doing a falafel one because we're in la yeah and uh we're keeping it slightly vegetarian so it's just falafel wrapped around the what outside what are you saying but in fact it made it easier because the falafel itself also gets crispy so you don't have to bread the falafel and oh. anything else so it was one less step so we've also created more of a hack for the scotch egg too not only have we made it veg we made a double hack actually we made it vegetarian and one less step in the breading process so listeners i'm sat next to an exclusive bottle of Dewar's, which is 25 years old which is available for christmas presents so that would be great if they have a spare couple of pennies how much will it go for do you think uh, you know i don't know quite what the retail i don't know what uh, the retail right, price I, is i yet. know it's 225 dollars well, that's a bargain but look at it it's beautiful and you know something to savor and keep you know what's fascinating about 25 year old scotch to me though is like you wonder if the person that started it actually got to finish it you know oh. and it's like you get into some of the older scotches and you're like did that person really get to experience the fruits of their labor or they might have died before maybe it was perhaps <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just cocked it. We'll never know. What if that person was like 80 when they started making it? Oh. 105. They were in the Cheers wrong business. Cheers to that. That's what I would say. Hey, Dan, you are going to be so jealous. I am in the tiny house. I'm in the tiny wooden house. We were just speaking to Michael Voltaggio about, and best of all, I'm with the guy that knows everything anybody could possibly need to know, no pressure, about Dewar's Whiskey. I am here with Gabriel Cartarella, a.k.a. Gabe, my new best friend, because this house, do you live in this house? You should. The beautiful thing about this house is, is should I so choose? I can. You can, because he, he travels around all of North America, and I'm thinking this will be the best way to do it, because this wooden tiny house on wheels, is it on wheels? It is. It's on wheels. The beautiful thing about being an ambassador is not only am I a whiskey expert, what I'm saying is I've become this like raconteur for Dewar's Whiskey. My job is to like, accumulate stories and share them. And through this tiny home, it's been just well, that. In that case, I already know a little bit about there might have been some chicken breeding back in the day. Right. Tommy What's, Dewar. Tell me about the story behind Tommy's love of whiskey and his love of chickens. Sure. Yeah, so Tommy Dewar was... I, I always tell folks if there was a GQ magazine back in the early 1900s, Tommy Dewar would have been on the cover of this thing. He's a cool he's, dude. He was so cool. The first thing he did when he joined the company is like, hey, Dad, you're making great whiskey. Uh, I'd like to have thousands of sample of that and go find us business around the world. And so really for him, it was a way to not, like me, to not have his life disrupted by routine. And he knew the product that we were making was so good. And he took his kind of early genius for marketing, advertising, and his wit, and kind of just being the guy that when he walked in a room... Everybody's like, oh, my God, Tommy Dewar's here. He you know, was he, so charismatic. He was. And he was just this connoisseur of money things, including chickens. And he had like all these, not just whiskey, but he had show chickens that were some of the top awarded chickens, chickens in the world. Yeah. And what year are we talking? Well, On this whiskey 1840s -ish. here. 1840s-ish. 1846 is when his father founded the company. Oh, okay. And started his own wine and spirit store. And then in his 20s, Tommy joined. 
and quickly found that he really had this idea for marketing that was far beyond his time. He once yeah. said, if you do not advertise, you fossilize. Oof. Keep advertising, and advertising will keep you. He created the first commercial for a drink product in 1898. This guy was no joke. He was way ahead of his he time. He would have millions, millions of Instagram followers. <laughs> he would. He, yeah, we, we have these quotes from that we call doerisms. And if you look at the, I mean, like, for example, this sounds like something you'd see on like a motivational poster board today, but it says, you know, minds are like parachutes. They only function when they're open. Oh, so that's he just, good. I mean, the, one of the really funny ones is like, um, don't question your wife's judgment. Look who she married. <laughs> like, he's got this really clever All side right. to him as well. So he's got this like really interesting approach into the way that he looked at marketing, advertising, and his wit and wisdom today kind of comes through through the tiny home, through the way that we talk about and entertain with our whiskey portfolio, through our Scotch Aid Club. Certainly here in tonight in LA at Voltaggio's joint is a special occasion. So. Well, thank you so much. Now, I have a question. Have you ever heard of a, a person or a, a particular famous folk called G-Love and Special Sauce? It's actually a bit of a, it, it takes me back a little bit when you say G-Love and Special Sauce. Really? All throughout college, that's what we listened to. Really? G-Love, Special Sauce. Like, honestly, like, between him and, you know, the Jack Johnsons of, of my time in high school and college, that's what we listened to. And G-Love was kind of the more esoteric, cool kid band. He and, might be and, a bit and cool. And he, he kind of got me on the, like, the look, a lot of muting your guitar when playing it is actually pretty rad. <laughs> and this guy is an amazing basketball player, by the way, too. He's actually played basketball with one of my boys he called Flip Flops because <gasps> my buddy played him while wearing Flip Flops. So, gee, love what you say. It reminds me not only my friends, good times and good music. I mean, that's a great band to bring up for me. All right. Well, listeners, if you don't know who G Love is, you should. Absolutely. But we're lucky people on Drinky Fun Time. We get to to speak to nice, interesting folk like yourself. And G-Love is up next. So, without further ado, we'd like to introduce you to G-Love and my good friend, Dan Dan. Yo. Could I get a cold beverage? I need some leverage. A sweaty ass as a lemonade. Uh -oh. Nice of a bite from the Family in the house tonight. You know what that song means? You know what we have on the show right now? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Philly Zone, Garrett Dutton, a.k.a. G-Love. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your sauce? Yeah. Oh, and we're getting... Oh, here comes some sauce some right now. <laughs> some, uh, what do we got here? A little, some Jim Beam delivering drinks to oh, us. I uh, love that. That's yes. Good, uh, we're, we're living a high life now. Look at Thank this. Throw cheers. That over there. One more cheers. You know, One the, more the cheers. Oh, like cheers, 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 producer Bo. Cheers, Dan. Cheers, Emma. Cheers, cheers. So... Can I call you Garrett? Because I yeah. know you as Garrett. I okay, just want to so say, you know, so your uncle. That's right. Dennis. My uncle Dennis. Uncle Dennis worked with my father, Gary. Yeah. Right? So. Uh, way back in the day. Way back in the day. You're going to dig up some dirt. Oh, well, I don't know. Were, were you, in, were you, was it your cousins who had Dennis the uh, Mike, Men Dennis at Work cover band? <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> no, it wasn't even a cover band. It was a Men at Work <laughs> air guitar Lip syncing band. So, by the uh, way, Dennis and Mike, get ready for your embarrassment <laughs> right now. Here it is. So yeah, so yeah. I remember we went out to the Poconos to visit with uh, Uncle Dennis and the family, and um, I was probably you know eight, and uh, Dennis and Mike 
were probably 10 or 12 and uh, go down the basement. It was the coolest thing I ever saw. These older kids with the light show, basically <laughs> lip syncing and not, you know, air guitaring along. The, they had the whole Men at Work show. Oh, my. <laughs> so then after that, what happened was years later, I, I, I was a big G-Love fan. And I was going somewhere and my cousin says, oh, yeah. We know Garrett. I'm like, you know Garrett. You know him. They're like, yeah. So we ended up hooking up this thing, and Garrett and I had a uh, probably, damn, dude, that was probably 15 years ago, 12, 13 really? years Come ago. Come on, wow. and the rest. Long time ago in New York City. A thousand, 2,000 drinks ago. We had a very big <laughs> night out in New York City. So today, G-Love and Special Sauce uh tour the house down right emma <laughs> i have had so many of your tracks but i've never seen you in person i'm, I'm from england and uh, i just want to first of all say thank you because i can now say my second word in american but it's very distinctly on the east coast i say sauce sauce <laughs> i can't say anything else my first is water that's it water water it. Water. 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 I'm still getting it wrong? <laughs> water, like wood. Good it's God. A, it's a tri-state area thing. That's a water. <laughs> but when, by the way, when she said sauce, was, sauce, we did this a while ago on the show, and she was trying to affect a Boston accent. So Garrett lives in Boston now. Yeah. Okay. But sauce is not Boston. Oh. How would you say sauce in Boston? Sauce. 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 I don't know. I don't, I don't know. My, my, my accents are terrible. I always sound like a Jamaican leprechaun. Any type of accent I try to. <laughs> you actually said, when you sang today, you said sauce. Sauce. And I, sauce. I was thinking. My baby's oh. got sauce. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Come on. Go. She got sauce. Oh. Your baby ain't sweet like mine. She got sauce. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. I mean, it's such a privilege to have you on your show because... I'm sorry. I think you rap, right? You rap yeah. really well. I'm yeah, sorry. well, the, the, you I know, was like, like, look at him go. <laughs> so, He's brilliant. So he, you know, where he got his, he got to start from Schooly D. Schooly D. Schooly D. In Philadelphia, <laughs> right? Don't tell me that wasn't a major inspiration for you. Oh yeah, man. Like so, so growing up, growing up in Philly, so I, I was uh, in the '80s. You know, hip hop started, and uh, you know, I was a young teenager, and um, this was like the greatest, coolest type of music ever, and it was uh, maybe it was like akin if you were in like the growing up, growing up in the fifties, and, and you know Elvis came out or whatever. But it was like this type of ground shaking music, and there was this program on Power ninety nine FM, which was was an R and B station. And Friday night they had a program called Lady B's Street Beat. And uh, we would, you know, record it on a cassette tape. And, you know, that's the first time you ever heard, like, Public Enemy, Terminator X, and Schooly D, and Steady B. And, and the sound was scary. Like, I remember hearing Terminator X and that, that the sample. I mean, it scared the shit out of you when you're, you know, a 13-year-old kid. You're like, I mean, and the Beastie Boys, too. Uh, I played in this basketball league in Philadelphia. I was one of... You know, three or four white kids in the league. Yeah. And my buddy comes over to me and said, hey, hey, Garrett, put these headphones on. He put the headphones on. And um, it was the Beastie Boys. Hold it now. Hold it now. Hit it. And uh, and I was like, oh, that's cool. He goes, yeah, they're, they're white just like you. And I was like, no, they're not. They're not white. 
White you, people can't do that, and now I'm doing it. And know? that was when that came <laughs> out. When awesome. license, when license to ill came out. Oh, forget it. It was like a it. seismic shift because before that, it had been like Grandmaster Flash. Right. Uh, you had uh, Sugar Hill Gang. Yeah. Early '80s, and then you know, and but the assimilation thing happened in a big, big, big way when yeah. License to Ill came out, which was like suddenly it was like these white guys from Brooklyn appropriating that music and right. not appropriating but like make and, and suddenly it was like the world got opened up yeah. to a lot yeah. of people right oh then. yeah yeah. and you remember hearing like you remember like I remember even my maybe my father be, like you're reading an article about the Beastie Boys in the New York Times or something be like yeah run these rappers run DMC uh, they helped them write the lyrics you know so I mean obviously they were all in the same you know the Def Jam camp so sure um, but yeah it was like uh but even after hearing the Beastie Boys, it was still like there was only at that point there was only as far as white rappers there was the Beastie Boys right there was Third Base right with MC Search yeah and then later on came Vanilla Ice who like you know everybody you know was just and what was he, he was uh, there was the other guys the two guys the two guys that uh, right around the time is Vanilla Ice it'll come up Th- uh, Third Base yeah that's Third Base Third yeah. Base that was Those MC Search oh that's yeah. MC okay yeah, yeah. and okay. they actually had the this song called Pop Goes the Weasel, which was Pop a Pop diss song about Vanilla Ice. About Vanilla Ice, Right. Yeah. But even at that point, it was like, oh, white people can't rap. And, like, we were just bumping hip-hop in, in the car every day when we started driving and knew every lyric. And uh, But it was never like, oh, you're going to be a rapper. I was like a folk singer. But one night I started Is rapping over. Is that where over. Cold Beverage came from? Is that well, where that? Yeah. Well, that was later because... I was a street musician in Philadelphia, and I was playing a blues riff because I got really into the blues. One night, my best night ever busking, I made $60, two cigarettes, a joint, and a beer. And <laughs> That's a good at night. The, Cheers at to the that. End, yeah, let's Cheers raise a drink to that. There we go. Hey, at, the end of the, at the end of one of my riffs, I started playing, rapping his lyrics for Eric B. and Rakim, the, the lyric oh, paid in full, you know, thinking of yeah, a master yeah. plan. And, um, and I said, holy shit. Like, that was an epiphany for me. And then the next day, I went and wrote my first rap. And then I said, hmm, I might have just stumbled into some shit. Yeah. And I did. Did it, did it seem to come to you quite easily? It was just, it was the, I always said it was like, I had a lyric in a song because um, it, it was like the product of the city. It goes, I can't remember right now because you got me looped on this whiskey, but <laughs> so I'm like, this is the city and I am the product. Like, no, I, I never, I never, I never really planned it. I didn't really saw it. This is the city and I am the product. And that meant to me, like, you know, I, the hip hop culture was something that we all did. Like, we all tried to break dance. I used to write graffiti in Philly. We were a city kid. You Break dance, play basketball, skateboard, write graffiti. This is hip hop. Remember MB? Yeah. MB was yeah. the big graffiti artist yeah. in Philly. By the way, can I just take one second? Just one oh, pause. Yeah, no, one quick on pause. One pause. I'm looking at Emma, one of my favorite people, and G Love. And in the background, Paul Rogers is singing, Feel like making love. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah. By the way, I'm saying in yeah, terms of great in terms of great moments in the life, okay. I just want to acknowledge. Uh, yes. And All thank right. you, Paul Rogers, for that moment. I would like to ask Garrett though. Um, 
you're either incredibly brave or this was something that you, I'm going to bring you into this, Dan, for the first Uh-oh. time Uh-oh. ever. <laughs> you guys in that generation had this like well, wait, wait, wave. Wait, what do you mean that generation? I'm lumping yeah. you you're into old. a dump, a, 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 a category, old a generation people. Okay, of people gotcha. yes. who had all the odds against you, let's say. I did. And yes. and you were. His dad was a lawyer. My dad was. A, Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. His dad was oh. a lawyer. My dad was like. Oh, hey, not a, I take My dad out. was an unlawyer. Let's just put it All that right. way. Yes. Not well, a lawyer. I, lawyer or no lawyer as a father, it's not easy to break into an industry like R&B industry as a white guy back then. Were you scared to shit, or were you like, I'm just gonna do it anyway and see what happens? Yeah. I mean, first off. The music business was like a million gazillion light years away from anything that I knew about, right? Like you had MTV and you had the radio and you go to the record store and buy records. But the thought, even though I lived in Philadelphia, which is literally an hour and 15 minutes from Manhattan where everybody was getting, making records, it was, it could have been like, you know, Star Wars, you know, it's so far away. And, uh, <laughs> but shoot, little by little, uh, you know, sending demos in, and, and little by little, I, I snuck into it. Who'd and, you get um, signed? Who signed you first? Epic Records. Epic Records. Yeah, like how'd, we, that, how'd that happen? Well, well, we I moved to Boston from Philadelphia in 92 to be a street musician. You know, got a couple gigs from playing out on the street. And one of the gigs, I met my drummer, who had some contacts in Boston. We started gigging. One gig would lead to a next. I would send the demos out everywhere. Pretty soon we're playing in Philadelphia and playing in New York. And all of a sudden, fuck, nine months after we put the band together, we literally signed a major label record deal with Epic Records. So we went from being so far out of corporate America or just the world, right? We're street musicians, which most people look at as bums, right? We went from doing that to signing a, you know, $250,000 $250,000 which is a record of, a shitload of money back yeah. then for right? Epic yeah. Records when I was 20 years old I mean it was like over. it was basically like overnight kind of so know? what do you what do you do when that happens the moment they say to you we're going to give you $250,000 to make a record cry you cry I, I'll never forget the moment like I was with my drummer he had a studio apartment like a loft with a shared bathroom in the hall he had a little mini fridge Full of, his whole apartment smelled like salami because that's what he's living off of. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget, we got the call. Yo, you're going to get a deal with Epic Records. And I looked at Jeff and I just started, he was 10 years older than me. I started crying. I said, well, I don't know. Because you, you, you didn't know. Like, things were great. We had the band together. We were playing the Irish Corner Bars. But I, I, I didn't know it was the house band, right? What was, it yeah. the, what was the place called? In the Bud? Plow and Stars. The Plow and Stars in Cambridge. Cambridge. You're the house band there. Well, Monday night, yeah. Monday, three Monday sets. The best night of the week, Monday night, right? Three yeah. sets playing for $125, three sandwiches, as much beer as you could drink until they found out I wasn't 21. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was like going, it was being so far away from any of this type of shit we're sitting in right now to all of a sudden being. Wow, you just made a shit ton of money, and you know you're playing music. It, you, you didn't know where it was going to go, but you knew things were going to change, and that's yeah. why I think I was it was like a loss of innocence just to have a deep moment. But it, it was like that. It was like, wow, something's about to happen right now. I don't know what, but and it did. It changed. And when you look back now, on a career that's lasted what 20, 30 years, 
25. Damn, 25. Damn. Oh, I'm trying to make you a little older. You're I, a little I, older I than old. me. All right. <laughs> I mean, that's It's lasted a long time. <laughs> Listen, hey, let's bear, in t- let's bear in mind that it was Vanilla Ice was someone you would have taken inspiration from. It. No. I, I don't no. Want to no. Okay. No. The Beastie Boys. No. All right. Well, someone who was doing well, let's say, when no. you got going. Yeah, but here's the funny thing was that, like, you know, I was uncomfortable for with her for a long time, but like Dan said, my father was a lawyer, so I, I didn't grow up poor. I grew up well off. You know, we it's not like my dad had a Maserati or something, but I went to private school and and uh, my path would have been to like go to college, you know, and, and do something that college can give you. But yeah, you know, for me, like I, I had this musical thing, and and, I, and honestly, like I I felt like I I was running from the money, that type of money. Well, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to interject here. I grew up Frankfurt, blue-collar, Philly. Okay. And this was legit with you because you were one of the first guys in Philly made it. It was a a, a knock that was on you, right? Like, oh, oh, G Love, right? When I was a kid, I remember that being like when I brought up School of D, like, oh, G Love, man. He's, you know, rich kid doing this. Right. And and I felt it when I was a kid. And I was like, I like the music. I like the music, but I kind of no, but I kind of felt like I kind of felt like, it, like is he legit? Right, he, he yeah. really ain't from the street. And then I'm like, what the fuck am I from the street? Whatever. But how did you deal with that? Because there was a lot of pushback. Same way, in the Beastie Boys got that too, though. Yeah. When the Beastie Boys came out, licensed to ill, it was like white guys, yeah, rapping, white like, Jewish kids. So from how Manhattan. did you? How did you? When you got around the guys that were, you know, the legit blues guys and, and, and all these guys, did you feel any sort of insecurity? Did you feel like, I got to prove myself to these guys? Yeah. I mean, every night, like, you felt, I felt guilty for playing. I, I should say, I never felt any of these emotions till we made it. And then you start doing interviews when you, in Europe or Japan, especially when people say, like, especially in Europe, you go to Europe and they say, well, how can you play this music you're white and your dad's a lawyer and you're from philadelphia what gives you the right and um i, I did I, I felt like in my early 20s i had a, a lot of guilt for playing black music i sure. had a lot of guilt for playing hip-hop being you know coming from a, a you know middle upper class upbringing and and and, and playing the street music but you know, like, I think it was just always, like, the love of the music. But but I was cognizant of that, like, do I have the right, right? Do I have the sure. right to do this? And, and I, ultimately, I think that over time, you know, we earned it. We earned our place in this whole musical situation to be ourselves and, and to play music. But, yeah, it, it was it was a... It was it, it was a serious thing for me. It was the kind of thing that would give me ulcers. I'm like, sure. And every oh, yeah. night you would have to go prove it. And like, you know, at night in a hotel alone, just being like, you know, do I have the right to do this? Am I real? You know, but ultimately, you know, I don't know whether it, I had the right or not, but I, be- I, I, I loved it. I had a, such a passion for the music, you know. But that's the thing. At the end of the you day, I mean? some of the biggest bands in the world, the Beatles, the Stones, Everybody. they're all thieves. Yeah. They're yeah. all thieves. They're all stealing. And then at some point it becomes you become legit like you yeah. have earned your right to play but that you gotta kind earn of music it. yeah that's you gotta it. earn yeah. it every night you gotta you gotta earn it every night and you and you know hopefully we earned it tonight but oh dude you killed it every killed night we hit it. the stage it's always like you gotta prove it to yourself you gotta prove it to the band right even though we've been playing together for 25 years we all have to prove it to each other every night and then we gotta prove it to the crowd so 
immediately when you come, I don't know, maybe you come out on stage and it's like you got to climb that mountain every night and you want to get to the top. You seem, I don't know your age, and it doesn't matter to me. I'll be 40, 60, 40, 62 <laughs> years old tomorrow. You Younger in, than him. Incredibly. I, no, you do. You, you. you seem incredibly young. And I'm only saying that because I'm assuming. Do I seem incredibly old? No. I mean, yes. <laughs> Please. Come on. Look, I cut my You're sleeves you, off my Dan. shirt. Look at this. You're you. Old guy wouldn't do this. But what What are you, what are your, the reason I brought up, I'm so sorry I did this, but the reason I brought up Vanilla Rice was because Vanilla I Rice? How I, many Vanilla Rice? have you had? He's the biggest artist in Japan. Vanilla Rice. I <laughs> love him. You can He's have Japanese. that, Japan. Yeah, Take it. Big. But, you know, he bowed out, let's say. He cut his losses. He got out because probably knew that he had nothing else in him or he couldn't handle it. Or he just made a shit ton of money and he's Did he now coming back and doing like Dancing with the Stars because he's broke. That's right. Yeah. But know, you're man. still in the game and you're only... I don't... Where is this vanilla ice? He Gila? brought it up. <laughs> he brought it up. Okay. He did. I'm going on record as saying I have. I feel there's no connection between you and vanilla ice. <laughs> he 100% I, I almost mentioned. got the air eyebrows shaved though the other day. You well, you did have that. Oh, that's right. Yes, I remember that. Back in the day, you had the... No, I didn't have that. You had the hair. No, you always had cool hair. The pompadour, man. Vanilla ice was some... Vanilla I think the ice. listeners will know who vanilla ice is, okay? And he's... He's not around anymore. <laughs> he is around. <laughs> he's no, not he's dead. Like, is he still performing? I'm, I no, bet he's, he's out there making fucking ten million dollars. I feel like we year, have to man. just get this out of the way for Emma. <laughs> go ahead. Go Let ahead. me do it. Yeah. <laughs> I love this song. Yeah. Go G. Go G. Let's kick it. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Yo, vanilla rice in the house. <laughs> what record label is he on? They're gonna sue us. All right. <laughs> My question was going to be, Go I think I think Garrett's really brave. I think that people like Vanilla Ice <laughs> as a white rapper, as someone who did really well and then got the hell out. You've not got out. You carried on. What's kept you going? And you're not even nearly finished. We just didn't make enough money. That's oh. it. <laughs> All right. At least you're honest. If he, no, if well, actually, it, it's if he just, got one ice ice baby, he'd be out. Well, put it like this. But it's a real thing. Did you ever wonder why there's a, such a thing as called a one-hit wonder? Because maybe it's because they made so much money that they said, fuck this. I'm going to chill in my you know, yacht or my, in my uh, house on the hills. But, like, honestly, it's, it's, it's a good question because... We had achieved great success, right? But we had achieved um, notoriety and the opportunity, right, to basically start a small business, right? And that's what basically we are, right? And, and uh, you know, we, we sh someone just said to me earlier, like, so when you guys come in, you come in, like you guys flew in, but your, your stuff comes in on a truck? Yeah. No, like it's three guys in the band, two crew guys, and we're all carrying guitars in the airport, and then we go to the next gig. So it, and then we stay at the Days Inn, or the Uncomfortable Inn, or the uh, <laughs> No Roof Over Your Head Inn, or in a tent, or in a tent. It's and, a camping and, situation. And, and, you're, and so basically, like, what we do is uh, we work, you know. And this is our this this is our passion. It's our love. It's our it's our life's work. But it, it is our job, you know. So so getting to the gig is part of that. So it's not. It's it's usually not glamorous. I'm usually not sitting next to a beautiful young woman with an English accent, 
um, he's from New to, Jersey. He's trying to bring me back to the brink, <laughs> isn't he? He's like, no, oh, saying. she's pissed. No, I better be no, nice. But, but really, it, it, it is like, so I, I can't speak on Vanilla Ice or, or anything else, <laughs> what, why or what Or he anyone did, else who's white and wrapped right. back when you were starting out. <laughs> you but, you can list them. But, but I th I'd say we're one of the lucky ones because we've achieved this type of success that's, that had just enough commercial success that we were able to reach a lot of people, but not enough that people ever considered us like a sellout. Maybe they did some years, but we basically just grind and we play big festivals, but we also play, you know, 200 seater or a thousand seater and, and we're just on the grind and, and we play, you know, 150 shows a year. We've been doing that for 25 years. Exactly. We love and it. Vanilla Rice is not. <laughs> Let me say this. He might he well I actually pull up Vanilla Rice's touring he schedule. He is not. He doesn't much. have one. I want to I say I this, though. You. I want to say this, and I mean it. It's, it's very rare that I get to sit here and talk to somebody who, uh, you know, you have a soundtrack for your life, right? Like, these songs and the, and the things that mean so much to you and, and your songs have meant so much to me throughout my life. Like, I can remember, you know, we're talking about the school ED and cold beverage, all that stuff. It's been a long time, man. I've been listening to you for a long time. I've known you, and it's such a pleasure to have you here and to see that you're still fucking doing it, man. You're still out, and you're still killing can't it. can't stop it. You're still he's rocking. He's nowhere near stopping. No, and I, <laughs> I just want to say I'm honored. I can't. I got two mortgages, and I got a child <laughs> support and a one-year-old. Oh, I mean, congratulations. I'm, like, I'm in the trenches for at least another 40 years. He's in. <laughs> And we're gonna play a little, a little bit of this. Oh, what's that song? Oh, Stepping Stone. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I think we're gonna, we're gonna step out with a little Stepping Stone. All right. G Love of G Love and Special Sauce. <laughs> Thank you. You are a scholar and a gentleman. Thank you, sir. And we love you for coming on the too. show, man. Thanks Woo! for having me. That was Thank great. Thank you so much. That was the funnest interview. Uh, uh, you've done all, since the last hour. You mind if I sing? You mind if I sing a little? <laughs> Please. Baby, you're beat up, broken down Every man knows your name in this whole damn town And every bar, they know you drink What should I think? I turn around and look And you gaze and do the wink I thought I'd be happy with a woman like you But you walked on my pride and my manhood too I don't know too much, but one thing I know A man stuck on you is like a stepping stone Cause you keep using me just like a stepping stone Ladies and gentlemen, you are partial to the greatest drinking show of all time. With us now, a man who makes whiskey, formerly for Maker's Mark, and now for Whistlepig. 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 <laughs> and Hill Rock. Very good. Please welcome to the show, Dave Pickerel. Dave Pickerel! Yeah. Right. Thank you. Dave, it's good to have you, man. It's good to see it's you. It's good to see you again. It's been a while. Dave Pickerel, for everybody listening out there, is, uh, I mean, you, know, you throw around the word legend a lot, but this guy is a legend in the whiskey-making world, and tell us about your legend. 
Oh, my God. Talk about yourself, Dave. Well, that's kind of a hard thing for me to do. Um, I, uh, my background is that uh, I started out consulting for Maker's Mark back in 1989, if you can believe Whoa. it. Whoa. Whoa. That's the year Emma was born. Uh, uh, yes. I, that just shows you how old I am. 1989. One drink for that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, five years later, Bill Samuels literally walked out of his office and invited me to become his master distiller. Well, did that's that, crazy. Did that, so uh, how does that was, happen in a five year? What, what did you do to distinguish yourself in that five-year period? Um, pretty much all of their engineering work. Um, you know, something to break down, they'd call me, and they didn't have an engineer on staff, and so I would just design everything for them. Got to know the, the team really well, and it seemed like a good fit. And I remember the day I was, I was literally doing some, some work out in, the, out in the, the back lot of Maker's Mark, and Bill Samuels walks out of his office and hollers at me and says, hey, come over here. I go, yes, sir. He goes, uh, did you know that we're looking for our next master distiller? And I said, no, sir, I didn't. He goes, well, that would explain why you didn't apply. Because um, <laughs> we, we went cheap. We are. We just got done, and we've gone through our entire list of applicants and didn't find anybody we like. We're tired of looking. Frankly, we like you. If you want it, the job's yours. That was my whole interview. All I had wow. to do was say yes, which took me to like... To become the master distiller of one of the most iconic, not just bourbon brands, one of the most iconic... Brands in history. Brands in history, oh, yeah. yeah. And it was just amazing. I'm getting to sit at the feet of Bill Samuels for 14 years was just an amazing experience. Wow. Yeah. Um, he, is, he is literally, he's one of the three smartest people I've ever known, and... Probably the would, single would best in, marketer. Would I be in the top three, two? Um, I don't five, think so. Maybe, maybe six, maybe someplace in right. the ten to twenty-five range. Thanks, Dave. In the Sorry. minus. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I stayed with Maker's Mark for fourteen years as their master distiller, and then the allure of craft spirits and rye in particular just caught my heart. And uh, hard to believe, nine and a half years ago, I left Maker's Mark, and uh, with the concept of starting Whistle Pig up. And, uh, and Whistle Pig is, so in the industry, Whistle Pig is, you know, fairly new, but fairly new. Like, fairly new. You, like, uh, not, but, first bottling. And, but and has ten. a massive, you know, there isn't a craft cocktail bar, a high-end craft cocktail bar that doesn't carry Whistle Pig. Right. No. And, you know, it's one of the fun things. When we, you know, when I started at Makers, everybody, it was very formal. It's Makers Mark this and Makers Mark that. And you could tell when the consumers kind of got a second gear because they started personalizing it. It was Makers or it was Mark or it was Red Wax. And, and, uh, and we saw, I've seen the same thing happen with Whistle Pig. When we started out, it was very formal. I'd like a Whistle Pig need or a Whistle Pig this. And now you see people walk in the bar and they go, you've got the pig. Yes. Yeah. I'll take a. I'll <laughs> Where's take the a, name come from? What's Whistle Pig? Oh, cover? my God. Great story. So uh, my partner, Raj, is a. Uh, Kind of like Winnie the Pooh in some regards. He needs a thoughtful spot. Yeah. And uh, so he was up in Vail, Colorado back in 2007 working on a project and just needed to get his head wrapped around a few of the details. So uh, off he goes on a wooded lane, minding his own business, deep in thought, and he hears this rattle of a mountain bike and just heck bent for election. A guy flying down the hill, he looks up, and I mean, this guy's bearing down on him. He's got long gray hair, looks like M. Emmett Walsh, no helmet. And the guy's distracted. He's looking at something in the woods, and, and he almost runs Raj over. Not, drops his bike, jumps off, and he's looking back and forth between Raj and whatever it is in the woods. And he goes in his French accent, Could it be? Could it be a whistle pig? 
<laughs> and Raj looks at him and goes, what? And the guy looks at him, you know, and makes this snappy noise with his, uh, with his hand in like a kiss. And he's going, you know, whistle pig. And Raj says, who are you and why are you in my face? <laughs> and the guy looks at him and goes, <laughs> gets on the bike, takes off down the hill, and he's gone. Raj is already in a contemplative mode, and he just stares at the, scar- at, at the sky, and he goes, that was the most bizarre human interaction I've ever had. It must be a sign from the heavens. I need to do something with this. So he goes home, names his farm Whistle Pig Farm. Two years later, we're shaking hands. We're going to bring this rye brand to life. And I look at him. I ask him about the story. He tells me, and I go, must be a sign from the heavens. That's what our name needs to be. And uh, wow. so since nobody knows what a whistle pig is anyway, we decided that we're just going to appropriate the definition. For, so for us, a whistle pig is anybody who likes the finer things in life. So wow. you can all be whistle pigs. Well, I'd just like to thank you then because yeah. I've had whistle pig. I know whistle pig really well, actually. I'm, I'm used to seeing it a lot. Good. Yeah. I mean, am I just blessed because we live in Los Angeles? No, I think it's, it's kind of all over, right? Yeah, right. And producer Barry loves it. Producer. I know he does too. I'm actually headed to Los Angeles in a week. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, we're not going to be there. Oh. Uh, well, no, because it's my birthday, so Dan's making me sit in the car for six yeah, hours. Right. Oh, that sucks. Yes. Where are you going? We're going Arizona. to Arizona. I had one of the one of the most fun guest bartendings I've had in a long time in Phoenix. Really? No kidding. Um, I love bartending, I have, and I don't do enough of it, but... Um, I was there for Arizona Cocktail Week, and, and one of my friends got me behind the bar at Ostrich. And at 8 o'clock, literally, they go, Dave, get behind the bar. And everybody walked out, all of the bartenders, all the barbacks. And they just said, it's all yours, buddy. <laughs> and I don't know what overcame me, but I just started chatting people up. And I'm not serving anybody drinks. And all of a sudden, after 15 minutes or so, I look at the first guy and I said, you want a Monte Carlo. And I just started making him one. And here you go, and that'll be 10 bucks, you know. And then I look at the next guy and go, but you want an old-fashioned. And I was literally going one at a time and making all the classic cocktails for people and not giving them a chance to order. About five or six in, people are going, what do I want? What do I want? And, and it became a feeding frenzy. Before the night was over, we had served every single bottle of Whistle Pig they had, all the 10, the 12, the 15, plus four backup bottles that I brought. It was just a zoo, and it was just hilarious. I mean, I, I, I think I might even try it again because it was I so funny. But it was just, it was just a hoot, and, you know, just not, I mean, not letting anybody order and just, just telling them what they were going to But wait, I have. like how you throw out the Monte Carlo as the classic, because I don't ever hear anybody order that. It's I a, love a Monte it's Carlo. A, it's a rye Benedictine. And it, it's a Manhattan with Benedictine, Benedictine instead yeah. of Vermouth. Oh. That's and right. so it's a I haven't heard that drink, drink in forever, oh, but I so I'd been over there before. I have you ever been the Benedictine in Fay Comp? I have not yet. So no. it's in France, yeah. and I, I that's the only time in my life I've, I think I've ever heard of the Monte Carlo. I don't think I've have you ever heard anybody order it over here? No, but that's I like a great how you drink. It's a great you drink. if so, somebody said that and you knew it. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. kind of impressive. I mean, I mean, I'm writing a cocktail book right now called Why Not. Oh, no, come on. Cheers to that. Hold oh, on you. a second. And, uh, the crowd thank you very much. The crowd goes wild. Oh, they, they, they but uh, um, it's with, uh, I've, I've got a co-author, uh, a, a good friend of mine, Amanda LaFrance. And uh, um, the first section is the history of America seen through the eyes of rye whiskey, known as the rise and fall and rise of rye. <laughs> 
and then the rest of it is is a really nice bartender friendly co- cocktail book. All the recipes were submitted by bartenders, and it's going to be lay flat, weather water resistant pages, big font so you can read it when it's dark out, color coded edges by the type of type of cocktail it is, and yeah. We're 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 heading into the clubhouse turn on it. So right that's now. coming next. Yeah. Well, I got to say one thing, maybe two things. Oh, but the one thing can't is imagine that. There, well, there's two things. One thing is Stevie Nicks is coming on very shortly, and we're all going to get ready and go see Stevie Nicks. Second thing is Dave Pickerel coming on our show and gracing us with your wisdom and your whiskey. And we're going to see you. Well, we're not going to see you in L.A., but we'll see you soon. I'm sorry right? you won't be there. No, it's a bummer. Gosh. But uh, get Whistle Pig. If you've not had it, you've got to have it. The Hill Rock, right? Excellent. Whistle yes. Pig, Little Pig. Little Pig. Oh, I should also, before you leave, you know that, that our boss hog that's just getting ready to come out was just voted best whiskey in the world. <gasps> By the San Francisco International Spirits Whoa. Competition. Whoa. Let's do it again. That's cool. And the crowd, hey, please, everybody, stop. Stop, Dave's blushing. All right, there we go. Um, Dave, it's good to see you, man. It's always good Thank to see you. And this is a, uh, let's raise a toast yeah. here. Let's Cheers, raise a toast Dave. Here. Thank you. And to you, Dan, and producer Bo, and CC. Cheers. Oh, Cheers. Hello, I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior. Happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Scarface, 22 to 45. (laughs) Like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Yin Yang Twins. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype and that he has come for his cocaine. As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, (laughs) he spots his dear friend, who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. (laughs) Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. (laughs) Oh, my God. 